0: Amen. Second Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7. We are going through a study of the life of David, but we are specifically looking at the life of David through the lens of leadership. I believe that David is a great model of a growing leader in the Bible. And the reason why I think it's important that we study David and we study leadership principles is because I believe that God wants every one of us to be a leader. He created us to be a leader. Whether we look at ourselves or not as leaders, whether others look at us that way or not, God wants us to be leaders. Again, going back to the Garden of Eden, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, He wanted them to have dominion over the rest of creation. One day when we get to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are told that we will rule and reign with Christ in His kingdom. So God wants to grow us into leaders during our lives. And David, again, is a great model of a growing leader. Again, 2 Samuel chapter 7, God's covenant with David, but we're not going to take too much time to go there. I want to look at some other principles about David that I think will encourage us. First of all, notice in verse 1, "...the king settled into his palace, for the Lord gave him relief from all his enemies on all sides." Now, we know that that didn't happen often. There were were seasons of battle and seasons where David had to fight, but there were also seasons where God gave him relief. And in those times when God gave him relief, I want you to notice something. David's mind and heart turned towards God. Maybe that's one of the reasons why David was a man after God's own heart, because notice what happens in verse 2. The king said to Nathan the prophet, Look, I am living in a palace made from cedar. Very valuable. While the ark of God, which we've already seen, represents the presence of God, sits in the middle of of a tent. Literally poles and curtains. And it's almost like David is saying, well, this shouldn't be. I'm residing in a better home than God is. And his thoughts go to God. And and his thoughts go to the fact that, that maybe God is not first place in his life. And this is something that we just need to be reminded of as well. What are the priorities of our life? Does God occupy first place? When we have a moment, where do our thoughts drift? Do our thoughts drift like David to God? And what can I do for God? Or does our thoughts drift other places? David's thoughts at this moment drifted to what can I do for God? What can I do to elevate, magnify, celebrate him in a greater way? Notice in verse 3, Nathan the prophet replied to the king, you should go and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Again, what we're seeing here is that David has a real passion for God, literally in the Hebrew language, what Nathan is describing is a man whose heart beats faster when he thinks about God. Wow. Again, maybe that's one of the reasons why God says David was a man after my own heart. He got excited about God. He, when he thought about God and when his thoughts turned to God, it, it just filled him with, with such passion. But I want you to notice something here. One of the pitfalls that we can make as leaders is presumption. And you'll notice here that we've been learning throughout our study of Samuel that every time David stayed on the right track, he took the time to inquire from God and make sure that what he wanted to do or what he was getting ready to do was what God wanted him to do. And even Nathan, the prophet, notice does not go to God and inquire of God to make sure that his counsel and his advice is truly coming from God. He simply is presuming on the fact that, well, David, God's blessed you up to this point, so I'm sure whatever you want to do is okay with God. That's dangerous. Because we've already seen that there are times where David fought a battle in one way and had the wisdom to go back to God before he ever fought A similar battle because God didn't want him to fight that battle the same way so we can't presume that just because this is the way God wanted us to handle this situation before or that God is simply blessing everything we do that we shouldn't check in with God Nathan and David should have checked with God and inquired from the Lord before Nathan and David took off with this advice And as I shared Sunday, one of the great themes throughout this passage is what does it mean to us when God says no to what we want to do, to our plan? And you cannot study the Bible and not see that over and over again, all Bible characters, Old and New Testament, were always told no by God. So sometimes we get frustrated because we bring something to God and we say, God, hey, I'd like to do this and God gives us a no. What does it mean when God gives us a no? Well, we're going to talk about that, but you can go back to Abraham. Abraham said to God, God, may Ishmael, may he be the child of promise? And God said, no. I'm going to bring it about through another son and you're going to call him Isaac. No. Elijah said to God, hey God, just kill me. God said, no, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to get you strong again so you can go back and stand up for me in the nation of Israel. God told Bible characters, no, all the time. And we're going to see that in just a moment. But notice then, after Nathan gives this advice to David, that night, verse four, the Lord told Nathan, literally the word of God came to Nathan and said, hey, go tell my servant David. And I'm paraphrasing here. I don't want to take the time to go through all these verses. Basically, what God told David is or told Nathan to tell David was, that's nice that he wants to build me a house, but eh, that's not in my plan right now. In fact, later on, God's gonna tell Nathan to tell David, "I, I will I will have a house built for me one day, but David's son Solomon's gonna build it, not David. And I don't really need a house anyway. I never want the nation of Israel to think that somehow I can be contained in any kind of physical place. I'm much bigger than that. I'm bigger than any physical building. So I never let any of the leaders of Israel up to this point to build a house for me. And that might sound like a good idea, but that's not in the plan right now. So no. But here's what I want us to see tonight. When God says no to our plan... He always has a better plan. When God says no to our plan, He always has a better plan. David wanted to build God a house. God's going to come back and say, David, I'm flattered. Thank you for thinking of me, but I got another plan. Notice what he says in verse 8. So now say this to my servant David. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I took you from the pasture and from your work as a shepherd to make you leader of my people Israel. I was with you wherever you went and I defeated all your enemies before you. And God is reminding David through the prophet Nathan here that one of the other things we need to remember is where God brought us from and where we came from, and the progress that we've made up to this point. We should never forget where we were. Not to focus, not to dwell, but just to see the work that God has done in our life, and how far God has brought us. And the same faith that we've had in God to bring us to this point is the same faith that's going to take us to where God wants us to go. And so God was reminding David through Nathan... Don't forget where I brought you from. And I didn't bring you from here to just leave you here. I have more plans for you, David. So don't don't get upset because I told you, no, I've got a better plan. I've got a greater plan. Some of you here tonight may be in a place or a season of your life where maybe you feel like you're on the shelf. Maybe you feel like God has forgotten about you or whatever, know this, remind yourself of this. God hasn't preserved you and brought you through all this and brought you to this point just to let you hear. He's got something else for you that's even better than what you've experienced up to this point. And that's what He's going to show David. So through the prophet Nathan, God basically gives David five promises that form the Davidic covenant. Notice he says in verse 9, I will make you as famous as the great men of the earth. Basically, I will make your name great. That's the first promise. Second promise, verse 10. I will establish a place for my people. That's the second promise of the Davidic covenant. Third promise, I will settle them there. Literally, I will plant them. I will fix them there. The fourth promise of the Davidic covenant, verse 11, I will give you relief from all your enemies. And the fifth promise of the Davidic covenant, the end of verse 11, I will build a dynastic house. In fact, in verse 16, we find out what this means. God said through Nathan, your house and your kingdom will stand before me permanently. Your dynasty will be permanent. And I just, again, because this is not a message on a Davidic covenant, but because it's so important and because you and I will benefit from this covenant, I also wanted to share these five truths that come out of the Davidic covenant. First of all, Israel has to be preserved as a nation. For this, for God to be true, Israel has to be preserved as a nation. Secondly, they have to be brought back to their land in mass. Third, David's ancestor Jesus has to sit on the throne. Four, a literal earthly kingdom has to be set up. And finally, the kingdom will be an eternal kingdom. Again, I don't want us to get caught up in this tonight. We'll go into depth someday on the Davidic covenant. But I want you to see. This was God's better plan. Now now get what, David wants to do something for God. And God turns it around and says, I got something better, David. I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give my people a permanent place. I'm going to plant them there. I'm going to give them relief from all their enemies. I'm going to build a dynasty that is permanent. I'm sure David was like, well, I I didn't think of that. (laughs) And that's why I said, when God says no to our plans, God has a better plan. We have to learn to trust that God has the best plan for our lives. You can imagine how this impacted David. So we see David maybe in the best light, beginning in verse 18. After Nathan told David all these words in verse 17, King David went in and sat before the Lord. Very interestingly, in the Hebrew language, this language speaks of David desiring to be in God's presence. That's another great example for us as growing leaders. To desire to be in the presence of God and spend time in his presence. Like Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. When Jesus said to Martha, she chose the best part. And then I want you to notice in this passage, David's humility. Humility. David's humility. He says, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my family that you should have brought me to this point? We're going to see this in just a moment. One of the traps of leadership, one one of the traps of God blessing our lives and all of that is that we can tend to get lifted up in pride, rather than staying humble. And at least at this point, David is demonstrating a lot of humility. I want to show you this from this passage. I want you to notice with me that in this passage, from the verse 18 of chapter 7 through the rest of the chapter, ten times, ten times, David refers to himself not as the king of Israel, but as your servant, God. Notice this. First of all, in verse 19, you've also spoken about the future of your servant's family. Verse 20, you have given your servant special recognition. Verse 21, in order to reveal to your servant, go up to verse 25, you've made it about your servant. Verse 26, the dynasty of your servant, David. Verse 27, have told your servant, Verse 27, that is why your servant had the courage to pray. The end of verse 28, made this good promise to your servant. Verse 29, bless your servant's dynasty. Verse 29, may your servant's dynasty be blessed. Ten times, David referred to himself as your servant God. He was able at this point to keep who he was in proper perspective instead of God giving him all this and blessing him and blowing his socks off by this covenant, which, by the way, can I interject this too? Be careful when you study the covenants of God in the Bible. There are unconditional covenants and there are conditional covenants. The Davidic covenant is an unconditional covenant. It is a one-way street. God's going to do this for David just because. Because we know that God knows everything, and God knows the future, and God knows in just a couple of months what David's going to do with Bathsheba. Yet he still blesses David, because this covenant that he wants to do for David is totally unconditional. It has nothing to do with David's performance. It's just because God is good and wants to bless David. There are other covenants in the Bible that are conditional. And you'll know that by the fact that usually it comes with the phrase, if you do this, I will do this, God says. And sometimes Christians, when they're not discriminating and reading the Bible, sometimes they look at these other covenants over here as unconditional. No. First, I've got to do this, then God will do this. Some Christians expect God to do this without them doing this. So keep conditional covenants and unconditional covenants separated in the Bible. This was an unconditional covenant. And David said, I realize, God, you're doing this not because I'm so great. You're doing this just because of your grace and your goodness. In fact, notice also in this passage, that not only does David refer to himself as your servant ten times, but he refers to God as, O Lord God, seven times. Which means he not only sees the place that he has, but he sees who God is. And he uses the language in the Hebrew of Adonai Jehovah. You're the one that knows best. You're the one that's in control. You're the one who decides. Notice this, seven times. Verse 18, who am I, O Lord God, Adonai Jehovah? Jehovah. Verse 19, O Lord God. The end of verse 19, is this your usual way of dealing with men? O Lord God. The end of verse 20, you gave your servant special recognition. O Lord God. Verse 22, therefore you are great. O Lord God. Verse 25, so now, O Lord God. And finally, in verse 28, O sovereign Lord, is the way the net translates it, it's still Adonai Jehovah. David is saying, I see who you are, I see who I am. That's important in leadership. However much God blesses and gives to us and grants us and entrusts to us, we must always keep who we are in perspective and who He is in perspective. In fact, going back, notice something else. In the language of verse 19, When my translation says, and you didn't stop there, O Lord God, what David is saying in the Hebrew is, God, that was small for you. That was insignificant for you. In other words, everything that you've done for me, by taking me from the pasture and from being a shepherd to leading my people Israel, David is basically saying to God, God, that was nothing for you. You're the Lord God. And so, another important thing to re- just keep in mind is that how big is our God? And do we really think that the great things that God does like this is really something that taxes him, that, that's hard for him, that's like he gets done doing that and he's got to go over and take a little bit of a break, you know? Wait a minute. I gotta take a I hope the universe will keep on going because I gotta take a break. That was hard. No. Do we realize that the Bible says there's nothing too hard for God? Even when he created the universe in six days, well, goodness, God could have done it in a minute if he wanted to. And it's not like when God threw all those millions of stars out there and all those planets and created the earth and all that was on it, that, that God had to oh man, okay, that was Wow. No. It was nothing. And I say that because all of us need to be reminded that that same powerful, almighty, great God is ready and willing to operate in our life. And whatever obstacles or challenges or difficulties lie in our way, it's not too hard for God. It's very small for God. Let Him deal with it. Remember, he is the Lord God, as David said. And notice, in verse 20, David says, What more can David say to you? You have given your servant special recognition, O Lord God, for the sake of your promise and according to your purpose. You've done this great thing in order to reveal it to your servant. Therefore, you are great. Here's the point. When David received this spectacular gift, he didn't think it made him any greater. In David's eyes, it made God greater. There's a principle that we as leaders, boy, we need to remember that. Because again... As God blesses us and blesses our lives and maybe blesses our ministries and our businesses or whatever, and, and, and we start to see God just pouring, it's easy for us to think we're becoming greater because of all that God is giving us. And that's not the way it should be. The more God gives, the more He blesses, it should show us how great He is. He's not blessing us because we're great. He's blessing us because He's great. And David recognized that. That's why, can I just say it? I think I can, because I am one. That's why many pastors, their pants get too big for them. They start believing their own press clippings. They think that the church and everything that's happened somehow was because they were the smartest person in the room and and, and they deserved it and this warped thinking. No. If God does anything good at the Oasis Church, it's not proof that we're great. It's proof that God is great. We always need to keep that in mind. David goes on to say, Lord God, there is none like you. Verse 22. There is no God besides you. And what we have heard is true. I want to stop there for a moment. Many of you know when we started this church and incorporated it, that the Oasis Church is actually incorporated under a bigger umbrella called Shama Ministries. We did that strategically because if God ever wants other ministries, to come alongside of the Oasis ministry, it's much easier once that umbrella is up than to add the umbrella later on. And I'm not convinced that that's what God may want to do, but we left that open for God in case He did. But the reason I gravitated towards the word Shama. It is the Hebrew word that is interpreted or translated here in verse 22, heard. It means to listen attentively and with great interest. That's what the word shama means. To listen attentively and with great interest. So it's not just, yeah, God, I'm, I'm listening. Because we know our kids have told us that before, right? And we knew that wasn't true. <laughs> or we've had a friend that we... They're not really listening. You know, they've got that glazed-over look. When God is speaking to us, He wants us to hear. But not just physically hear. He wants us to listen to Him very attentively and with great interest. I mean... Get everything that he's saying and why he's saying it and really engage with him. Focus. That's so hard for us to do today. All of us have very, it seems, short attention spans. We just want to move on to something else. And God's like, Jeff, hang in here with me. And I think that's an important principle of Leadership. Leaders must be good listeners. Before we're ever able to express and communicate, we've got to be able to listen to God and to others effectively. And David kept on praising God and just, again, just being blown away by what God had done. But I want to bring you down here to Verse 27, where he says, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you've told your servant I will build you a dynastic house. That is why your servant has had the courage to pray this prayer to you. Literally the heart to pray this prayer. I want to I point out something that God really spoke to me about. When God makes promises and shares His word with us, it should drive us to prayer, but it also should drive us to appropriate the promises that He's given. God didn't give us all these promises like He gave David just to sort of sit out there and float. He gave us to Him so we would grab a hold of them and appropriate them and truly bring them in and hold them close and live by them. That's why God gave them to us. And so, The question I had to ask myself was, is there a promise right now that Jeff Royce needs to appropriate? And I'm going to ask you the same thing tonight. Is there a promise from God that you need to bring close to you and make it your own? Because God didn't give us these promises just to sort of float out there. He gave them to us so we could truly bring them into our life and live by them. And that's what David was doing. And you know why David had such confidence? Verse 28 tells us why. David had such confidence. God wants to build our confidence. Effective spiritual leaders are confident leaders, but they're confident not in themselves. Their confidence comes from three things we see in verse 28. First of all, the character of God. Now, O Sovereign Lord, you are the true God. We're true, reliable, faithful. The reason, God, why I have such confidence, why I have the courage to pray this prayer for you to follow through and do what you promised to do is because I know who you are. I know your nature. I know your character. I know you can be relied on. I know I can rest my entire life in you. You're not going to let me down. You said I will never leave you nor forsake you. Second, David's confidence also comes from the reliability of the word of God, not just the character of God, the word of God. Notice, may your words prove to be true. Again, the word means firm, reliable, sure. That's That's true of us as well. The reason you and I can have confidence every day today is the same as David. We can bank on the character of God. God said, I change not. I'm going to be just as faithful now as I've ever been. And you can take to the bank my word. If I said it, I will do it. My word is absolutely sure, absolutely reliable, absolutely trustworthy. And finally, David is confident because of the promises of God. You have made this good promise to your servant. By the way, in the Hebrew, it's really cool. The words good promise literally means my Lord is good. That's literally what they mean. My Lord is good. David was not only recognizing here the greatness of God, but the goodness of God. You've made this good promise to your servant. By the way, since he used it ten times, let's remember, when the Bible repeats something, that's used for emphasis. So in seven times in this passage, David refers to God as the Lord God, Adonai Jehovah. That's important. And when David refers to himself as your servant God, that's important too. In the Hebrew, the words your servant literally means working worshiper. Sometimes when we think of worshiping God, we don't think of it in the context of working. But there's a lot of different ways to worship God. And one of them is to serve, to work, to engage in what God is asking of us. And the reason I bring that up is because humanly speaking, like us sometimes, maybe I shouldn't lump you with me. I'll say me. When God's told me no to what my plan was or what I wanted to do, I didn't respond quite like David. I pouted. I sulked. What's wrong with my plan, God? God's like, but I got a better plan. I, I like my plan. And here may be another reason why David was called by God as a man after God's own heart, because instead of sitting around sulking and pouting because God didn't like David's plan, David is throwing his energy into God's plan. You don't see it here, but in a parallel account in the book of Chronicles, even though God did not want David to build the house, he was going to reserve that for Solomon, his son. God gave David permission, if he wanted to, to go out there and start gathering all the materials for the house before he died. And man, David, I mean, he went after it. He got the best timber. He got the best. He made sure that when God told Solomon, okay, Solomon, you can build my house. Solomon didn't have to look far for everything that he was going to need to build that house because David poured the rest of his life into making sure that whatever that house was going to need, David was going to make sure it was there. That says a lot about David's character. Okay, God, maybe you're not going to give me the privilege of building you a house. But man, your plan's better. And instead of getting all upset because you didn't like my plan, I'm throwing my energy into your plan. I'm going to be your working worshiper. And then finally, as we close, notice he says at the end here in verse 29, O sovereign Lord, by your blessing may your servant's dynasty be blessed on into the future. The word blessing there in the Hebrew literally is the word gifts. By your gifts may your servant's dynasty be blessed on into the future. And I couldn't help but think we were reminded even at the very end of this great chapter where God in His grace just says, David, this is what I'm going to do for you. You don't deserve it. But I'm a giving God and I'm a good God and I want to do this. Again, remembering, God knew what David was going to do and did it anyway. Because we can never, ever outgive God. No matter how much we think we have given and sacrificed and all of that for God, God always outgives us. He always blesses us more than we could ever bless Him. And when we realize that, Hopefully it drives us to sort of the same position of David. To just want to go into the presence of God and say, O oh Lord God, who am I? What is my family that You have brought me this far? I truly, every day, am so thankful that God has allowed me to be the pastor of the Oasis Church. To work with the best people ever and to pastor the best group of people ever. It is, and always will be, the highlight of my entire life. But God didn't do this for Jeff because Jeff deserved it. Because God was up there going, Man, Jeff, he's such a great guy. No. No. <laughs> but that's the kind of God that we have. So let us, let us grow to be the leaders that God wants us to be. Let's pray. God, we come to a passage like this and we are truly humbled. Humbled even to see how you work in someone else's life, like David. And yet, Lord, sometimes it doesn't translate to our life. There's a disconnect. And I'm hoping tonight that maybe for someone here tonight, maybe for a couple folks here tonight, that that disconnect will exist no longer. That they will truly see themselves in this passage as well. And see that the same God that did this for David, that blessed David, that gave to David, that entrusted things to David, is the same God that wants to do that for each of us. He hasn't changed. He's the same Lord God. So Lord, I, help us, help us not to limit you into what you want to do, what you could do through the Oasis Church. Forgive us, Lord, of even minimizing what you want to do and could do through each of our lives individually. Because you're the Lord God. Anything that you do isn't hard for you. God, hopefully tonight, in this passage, we've not only maybe seen you in a different light, hopefully, Lord, we've seen ourselves in a different light. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before